He's good. He's good. He's good. If you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 14, we'll be there in just a minute. So Genesis chapter 14. Well, God messed me up. I don't know if he's messing with you. He messed me up already, so... If you weren't here last week, uh, my wife gave a very powerful message about the well, um, basically encountering Jesus as the well, as a lifestyle, and uh, since she's gone, I can talk about her. Uh, she just walked out the door. Um, you know... You know when you're married to somebody that knows Jesus really well. And so I encourage you, become that person. Become that person that your spouse knows you know Jesus really well. Where they just, they, they know it by the way you talk. They know it by the way you think. They know it by the way you express yourself. They know it by the way you, you care for other people. They know it by the way you do your job. They know it by the way you, you take care of your kids or your grandkids. Become that person. There's only one way to become that person. is You've got to be transformed in the presence of Jesus. You, you, can't, you can't try to become that person. You can't just try harder. You can't just make a, a good effort to be a, a, a nice and kind person and be a better person. We're not, we're not trying to become better people here. That's, that's not what following Jesus is about. Following Jesus is about transformation. It's being transformed into the image of Jesus. The only way to be transformed into the image of Jesus is to be with Jesus. And it can't happen just once a week or twice a week at a meeting. That's supposed to, that's supposed to give you energy to meet with Jesus the rest of the week. It's supposed to be a, an arrow to point you. That's what we are today. It's all we're doing is an arrow and a, and a, a big, a big gathering that celebrates Him. Uh, I mean, corporate worship is awesome. We love, we love corporate worship. There's something that happens when all the people of God just get their hearts connected with Him. Uh, but there's also something that can't happen corporately that can only happen personally. It's when it's just you and Him. When it's just you and Jesus and you connect with him and you have his heart being pressed onto your heart. So if you didn't hear that message last week, it'll, it'll be up online here soon. And so you can check that out. Um, I was going to try to preach on wells and keep preaching on that, but it wasn't working. So we're going to go to, go to this, uh, Genesis 14. I'm going to talk today about the table. This is, if I was to title this message, it would be titled The Table. And we're going to start in Genesis, and we're going to, we're going to end up in, with Jesus at the table in just a few minutes. <laughs> so Genesis 14, to give you a little bit of a review, this is as a, my wife, who read the scripture about Abraham? Was that my wife at the start? I can't remember. Yes, okay. And then Jake, Jacob got up and uh, 
Wasn't that beautiful to, to hear the promises of God? Thank you for doing that, my friend, uh, and being obedient. You know, that was, that just, that just broke something, broke something through in our, in our midst today. Uh, you know, hearing the promises of God out loud is good. So, um, Maybe you should share it when you get together with your friends. Just say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna say five promises of God out loud to each other." I don't know. Just try something different. But we've mentioned Abraham, so this is right after Abraham. Uh, I'm done talking about you now, babe. Welcome back. Um, we're gonna move on to Abraham. His name is Abram here. He hasn't he hasn't had his name changed yet. Um, and so in chapter 12 is when Abram gets called by God and he answers the call. And, uh, I mean, basically this is, this is God beginning to send Jesus. This is the plan right here. Right now, once, once God calls Abram, I'm not saying he, he hadn't started the plan, but this is like a major part of God's plan is like he was going to call one person and make a nation so he could bring the Savior for the whole world. That's the whole point of, that's one of the main points of the whole Jewish nation and the Old Testament and the covenant and, and all that stuff was to bring Jesus. And so it, it's not to stay there. Uh, it was meant to be a, 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 a people to produce the salvation that would go to the ends of the earth. And so Abram answers the call of God and he has a promise from God. The promise is, is you're gonna, I'm gonna make you into a great nation, I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How is that? Through Jesus. That's how, I mean, Abraham is still blessing people, the blessing from Abraham is still coming to everyone because it came through his descendant, Jesus, that God brought through his family. And so Abram has a covenant with God. There's a there's a covenant. On Wednesdays we're studying the covenants, uh, and we're going through a, a covenant study. And so this is the initial calling uh, of the covenant and the beginning of the covenant between Abraham and God. And Abram starts following God, and he doesn't really do it that great at first. Um, he has a has a little issue with his nephew, whose name is Lot, in chapter 13. Um, nobody picks that Bible name out, do they? Um, wants to name their son Lot. Um, and so in chapter 13, Lot goes one way and Abram goes another way, so they have to separate. Uh, they've got family issues. Just the families cannot, cannot get along together. And so that's where we are in ver, in, uh, excuse me, chapter 14. And so there's gonna be a lot of, uh, a lot of names here, so just stick with it. It says, at that time when Somebody, Amraphel was king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Kedolaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. These kings went to war against, okay, so that's what, four kings, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, uh, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, I've heard of those places, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Dead Sea, where the Dead Sea is now, the Dead Sea Valley. 
And for 12 years, they'd been subject to Keto Leomer, but the 13th year, they rebelled. So just so you know, there's, there's all these alliances happening. And uh, it's interesting, um, they gather in this valley. The Valley of Sedim uh, it means this, the Valley of Division or Demons. And so the uh, some of these names are just very interesting, so I want to share it with you as I found this in the Passion Translation this morning, uh, that uh, the name of the king of Sodom is Bera, which his name means with evil. And the name of the um, king of Gomorrah, Bersha, means with wickedness. And Sodom means burning. And so you have this gathering of evil in the valley of demons, in the valley of division. Okay, so that's what's going on. And so there's a, they start fighting. Basically, so there's a war that breaks out against the the, the king who is um, Ketelamer was actually the king of Elam, which means the the goddess of no mercy. So he was oppressing the area and region with no mercy. And so it says that the king, uh, in verse 8, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, Adma, the king of Zeboyim and Bela, marched out and drew up their battle lines in that valley, in the valley of Sidim, against the other kings. And the valley was full of tar pits, verse 10. I'm jumping around, Trace, or, or whoever's up there moving it. Um, and when the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. And the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. And here's, here's why we're hearing about this. Verse 12, they also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. If you didn't remember that uh, Lot actually chose to go live in so- Sodom and Gomorrah area, um, it looked really nice. <laughs> Sometimes evil looks nice, but it, it's not. And so Lot realized um, in this place he was he was taken captive. So verse 14 says this, When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So, during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them. Pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. So, here's what's happening. Did you you just see what happened? Before, you had five whole kings with armies from five cities. And they went to fight against these dudes, the Keto Laomer dude, okay? Um, and they lost. They did not have enough strength. Abram has 318 guys. Sounds like a lot for your family, not a lot for an army. I'm pretty sure that in Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other strange places, they had a whole lot more than 318 guys. And it says these guys were trained, but they weren't necessarily warriors. It means that he was, you know, he was, he was training them up in the family and how to do, um, you know, in being a wandering shepherd, so to speak. And so is 318 of those guys, they set up the battle plan and they, they win the victory. Sounds a little supernatural to me. So after Abram returned from de- defeating Kedor Laomer, however you say his name, and the kings allied with him, 
the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, and and he says, you got to look, look what he says right now. He said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be the God Most High, who delivered you, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So what happens? There's this guy named Melchizedek, who comes out, out of nowhere, He's from where? He's from Salem. Does anybody want to guess what where Salem is? Jerusalem. Okay? So that's he's he is the king of Jerusalem. So in Hebrews it says that his name means king of righteousness or king of peace is Melchizedek. And this guy says, "Guess what? You didn't win this victory on your own." God handed the enemy into your hand. And then it says, Abraham said, you're right. And he tithed, Ronnie. He tithed to him. He gave him a tenth of everything he had. Now you have to go back into chapter 12. It says, Abraham goes down to Egypt and he lies about his wife and says, she's my sister. Okay. So Pharaoh, because she is a very attractive woman, apparently, that's why Abram said, we better lie because you're so good looking. I mean, she must have been good looking. Okay. I don't know. Uh, that if I say that you're my wife, he'll probably just kill me and take you. So we're going to say that you're my sister. I don't understand the logic, but it worked for Abram, okay? So just just roll with it. So Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt at that time, and he ta- he says, guess what? I'm the king here, and all the good-looking women, they come stay with me. So he invites. It's just the way it works with kings back then. We're not in that era now, thankfully, okay? Um, I'm getting faces at me like, whoa. <laughs> and so... He brings her into his harem. In other words, one of the ladies that was available to him at the night, at night. And so she comes in and then it says, as soon as Pharaoh does that, all kinds of diseases and boils and stuff break out on Pharaoh and all his people. And Pharaoh being, having a little bit of wisdom says, something's wrong. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, all hell is breaking loose, so to speak. What is going on? And so he finds out, oh, Abram, this is your wife. How come you didn't tell me? And Abram says, well, I, I feared and so I lied so that you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't kill me. Now remember, I'm going to have to review covenant really quickly. In the previous chapter to this, or the previous part of this, God has just made a covenant with Abram. And so it says that the Lord inflicted this on Pharaoh and his people. Why was, why was God doing that even though Abram was the one lying? It was because God was in a covenant with Abram. And when you're in a covenant with someone, 
when that person messes with you, you go fight for them. You are now covenant partners. And so what happens? Abram lies. It's not his performance. It's not his goodness. It's not his righteousness that makes it happen. But it's God's. God says, hey, I've made a covenant with you. And even though you were in the wrong by doing this, I'm going to, I'm going to stand against your enemies that are trying to take your wife from you. And I'm going to, I'm going to harm them until they release her. Because you're my covenant partner. We're in a covenant relationship. And so what happens with Abram is this. The point of why I'm telling you this is it says that Pharaoh gave him a whole ton of money. I know it's shocking. (laughs) I love the expressions. That's why I keep looking over here. It's like, whoa. So what kind of scenario is that? You show up. Pharaoh says, hey, oh, looks like she's free. She's your sister. Brings her in, says, this is wonderful. I'm so thankful. And says, Abram, you can live here. Thanks for letting your sister be here. They get all kinds of diseases. They say, what's wrong? Abram says, sorry, I lied to you. And this is God. God's doing this to you. And so the king says, okay, why didn't you tell me? Now here's a bunch of money and leave. That's the scenario. Okay? So Abram, it says that Abram left with the wealth heavy upon him. That's the Hebrew word there. When it says he left Egypt, it says that he had wealth upon him in like a great weight of wealth. In other words, he was rich. So it's interesting here when Abram gives one-tenth of what he gave, this wasn't a small gift. This is not a message about tithing, by the way. (laughs) But whatever application you want to make is fine. Um, Abram, this guy shows up, and it says his name is Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek shows up in the New Testament. Did you know what book he shows up in? The book of Hebrews. Interestingly enough, Ronnie said Hebrews 7 earlier when he was trying to search for that passage. Melchizedek shows up in Hebrews 7. <laughs> so, I don't, God was speaking. I thought you were going to, if you would have read out of Hebrews 7, I might have fallen off the chair on the front, okay? So, but he mentioned Hebrews 7. That's the main part where the New Testament talks about this guy. There's a part in Psalms where he shows up, where he says, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so, the belief is this: that there's two two beliefs about Melchizedek. Number one is that he was a he was a, a priest of that time, and he would have been what? Not a Jew. It says he was a priest of God Most High. We know he's definitely not a Jew because he was Abraham wasn't his daddy, and so he was a priest at that time. So even before God established a covenant with Abram, God was working among all people. It's a great, it's a great thing that, the, that the, the goal of God was never to be exclusive. The goal with God was always to be universal to all the people on earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to, for everybody. Jesus died for the sins of what? The whole world. And so, this guy shows up, and he's a priest and a king. And Abram is what? Abram is really a prophet. So you have the prophet, and you have the priest and the king. And there is a a belief that Melchizedek is actually not just a regular human dude. Because he shows up out of nowhere. In the New Testament, it says he has no genealogy. 
In other words, there's he has no ancestry. They found the, uh, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Anybody ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, here's what the Dead Sea Scrolls are. They are the oldest, some of the oldest manuscripts of the Old Testament. And when they discovered them, they were they predated anything we had found by hundreds, of, several hundreds of years. Here's the interesting thing about it. They found that the Bible lined up with it. That what we had in the Bible, a majority of it was, you know, 99% word for word of what we had. So you know that the Bible is accurate. Uh, secondly, what they found was this. In, in some of that information, there is, there is writings about Melchizedek. And in that time period, which was predated um, Jesus, it's in B.C., um, there was a belief that Melchizedek was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. That, G, that he appeared to Abram, and what does he bring to serve him? What does it say? Bread and wine. So you have the Christ figure showing up with Abram saying, I've won the victory for you. And he serves him a covenant meal. See, the covenant meal, even in non-Christian, non-Jewish cultures at that time, the normal meal they would have to celebrate in a covenant with one another was bread and wine. The thinking was this. I want you to feel this. It's like I am going, you are taking all of me into you. So Melchizedek shows up. As a, he's either a type of Jesus or an appearance of Jesus. Okay? So I'm not definitely saying one or the other, but in BC, in the Jewish writings of the, that time, they believed that the, they didn't know Jesus. Okay? Jesus hadn't been born yet. They, they believed that this was an appearance of the Messiah. And it's interesting when he shows up, he serves Abraham bread. And wine. In John 8 and verse 56, we got to put that one on the screen. John 8 and verse 56, it says this Jesus is talking about himself and comparing himself to Abraham, and he says this Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, he saw it and was glad. When did Abraham see Jesus? Right here. There was an appearance of Jesus, and he he presents a table to Abram and says, you get to eat at my table. Fast forward, there's a whole lot more about Melchizedek that we can't get into today, but if you want to read in Hebrews 7, I encourage you to read it. Hebrews is a challenging book. I understand that. So go to John 6. John chapter 6, and Jesus, so now now we're going to get to Jesus and tie this all together. John 
Jesus has been talking about being the bread of life. Um, there, you know, the people are asking him about, hey, what about, uh, you know, he's fed the 5,000. And so they're like, hey, you're going to give us some more bread. And, you know, we heard Moses gave manna in the desert and all this stuff. Are you going to do, are you going to keep doing this basically? You know, because a lot of them, it said they showed up and they were, uh, they were just asking like, hey, that was pretty cool with the bread the other day. And it's way cheaper than Subway. And so, you know, we're going to show up. We want a nice, sa- you know, bread and fish sandwich again. Uh, and Jesus, are you handing it out? And Jesus starts talking and says, I'm the bread of life. And like, that sounds good. Sounds like the Moses and the man in the desert. When, when is it going to come? He says, no, no, I am the bread of life. You got to eat of me. And so Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains or dwells or abides in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. What does he mean by that? He's saying, I am. I am the bread that's come down from heaven. The manna was just a, a picture of what God was going to do. Your ancestors ate manna, and, but they and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Forever, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, "This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it?" And it says later on in verse 66, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So basically it was like, this is like this, this is like the message, the sermon where some people are like, this was awesome until today. Peace out. <laughs> you know, this guy was, he was doing the miracles. There's amazing things happening. And then he says, okay, now we're going to get to the really serious stuff. You're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And many of you would do the same thing. You say, I'm out of here. <laughs> this sounds like a cult. I knew I knew this was going weird. I knew this was going to get weird. And this guy has gone off the deep end. And so, you know, Jesus, Jesus always said things. He threw things out there because he wanted people to come in closer and find out what are you really saying? He would throw stuff out to the crowds. That's why he, he spoke in parables. He spoke in parables all the time because it was like, they're like, man, this guy sure talks about farming a lot. Is, is he just about farming? No, he didn't. I mean, Jesus was just using an analogy for the day to draw them close to him, to, say, to get them to say, what is this about you? When they would get in close, the disciples would get in close. It says he would begin to reveal it to them. He was doing the same thing, and he was foreshadowing what, he, what he's going to be doing. Even the disciples, it says in this passage, are like, Jesus, we're following you, we're with you. But, man, that was a weird message, dude. <laughs> I mean, we're not putting that one on the podcast, bro. I mean, that is just, you know, we don't want to let that get out. That's just... That is some weird stuff. And so Jesus, he doesn't even answer that question. He doesn't say, well, let me explain it to you. He says, well, if you want to leave too, feel free. Go ahead. Are you going to leave? You're welcome to leave. Man, Jesus doesn't know about church growth, does he? (laughs) 
He doesn't know how to market. He's not marketing is not his strong point. You know, it's like, hey, if you all want to get out of here and, and just disown me, I, whatever. That's fine. You're free to do that. So then what happens is the disciples are like, well, we're, you know, we're in this far. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep following. We're going to keep following you, Jesus. We're going to keep going. It says, Peter says, Lord, who else should we go to? You have the words of eternal life. I don't understand most of them, but you got them. We know you're the Holy One of God. Still don't know what that message meant, but I hope we'll, we'll understand someday. So fast forward, what, a year or so later, and Jesus is sitting down at a table. And they're celebrating the Passover meal. And he takes a bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat this and do it in remembrance of me. And apparently only one of the disciples was paying attention because only John wrote this down. Only John wrote John 6. You know, he went back and says, oh, yeah, I remember that message. All the other, you know, Matthew, he's like... We ain't putting that in. I don't care. If I write a book of the Bible, I'm not putting that in. <laughs> Luke, well, Luke wasn't there, so he was hearing it from somebody else, and they didn't tell him. Mark, he was hearing mostly from probably the Apostle Peter, and Peter's like, let's just skip that part, man. I don't I don't even know what that meant. That's way over it. But John's like, I remember that. I mean, I remember the whole thing. There's so much in John that is so different as we did the reading. Did you all enjoy that this last month? Um, just read it, seeing how different and the perspective is and, and the emphasis is. And so John, John remembered, and that's why he put that in the book of John was to say, hey, look, when we get to the Passover and Jesus says, this is my body, he was talking about it before to saying, guess what? This means you will have intimacy and closeness with me. Here's how you abide with me. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have abiding presence of Jesus in your life. So turn to 1 Corinthians 11. So just like Jesus or a type of Jesus showed up with Abram, and served bread and wine. Jesus shows up with his disciples at the table. And he offers them bread and wine. I'm reading from Corinthians because this is the account from the Apostle Paul. You got to know, Apostle Paul was not in the upper room. He, he was not at the Passover meal because he was still uh, following the Jewish faith. And he was later on, it shows that he was so into the following his Jewishness, that he began to kill those who followed Jesus. Uh, in verse 23, it says this, uh, for I received, this is Paul talking, for I received, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That verse is, is very important because Paul is saying, look, Jesus told me this. So that means this is one of the things that Jesus told Paul. It says that Paul received the message of the gospel by direct revelation from Jesus. We know Paul had that encounter on the road, but then it says he kind of had ongoing experiences, ongoing encountering Jesus with a, as a lifestyle happenings. And one of the things that Jesus thought was so important to tell Paul 
was this. He told me that on the night, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I think it's fascinating to know that Jesus thought this was so important that not only did he serve it to his disciples, but later on when he appears to Paul, he says, I have to tell you about this night. This is so important. You have to know about this. You, you must, you must understand this. This is, this is so key to your present and your future that you better not take this lightly. You better, better not misunderstand this. You better, better not think this is not important. He says, Paul, you need to know this. And Paul says, I'm just telling you exactly what Jesus told me. You know, in the Old Testament, when, uh, you know, when Melchizedek appears, it says he was a priest of God. And that's why he was, he was, you know, ministering for God. What does it say in the New Testament? Who are the priests of God now? First Peter 2 9 says that we are a royal priesthood. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're now a priest of God Most High. It says in Revelation uh, 1 verses 5 and 6, you know, that we become a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? I don't need someone else to get close to Jesus. I don't need anybody else. Some of this teaching I took from our foundations class on communion, which is so amazing and so deep. Uh, some of it was was a different direction. Um, but you have to know this. You can come to the Lord's table at any time. And there is something special about receiving the body and the blood of Jesus. And it's why he preached a strange sermon that would seem strange. And later on, I'm sure the disciples are finally figuring it out. Oh, you did. You meant spiritually. You didn't mean literally. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) That would be gross. I still remember one time when I was, I wasn't even a youth pastor. I was in Bible college and we had the youth camp. Youth, you hear me? I had a youth camp. And we were at this place, and I got to talk about communion. And so at the end of that, we invited everybody up. Some of them had never been to any Jesus thing before. They're like, oh, what is going on here? We're just like, just come on up and take it. And a kid, a little little junior high boy comes up to me, and we serve him communion. And he's go, oh, it, do- it doesn't taste like blood. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, we didn't explain that part. (laughs) So although we aren't literally eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus, we are spiritually taking his life and the power of his blood into our spiritual beings. And the table 
is always prepared for you. What does it say in Psalm 23? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? When you're in the middle of a battle, Abram was in a battle, and God's, and Abram did what he knew to do. He just went out, and it said, God says, guess what? I actually took care of all that for you. And Abram was probably like, yeah, I kind of figured that. Because there's always a table ready. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you have chaos all around you, if you have confusion, if you have, if you have discouragement, if you have people who are naysayers around you, who are doubting God. It doesn't matter. There is always a table ready. There is always the table where Jesus is holding out bread and wine and saying, guess what? My victory belongs to you. My life belongs to you. My power belongs to you. My healing belongs to you. And when you take this, when you choose to by faith receive this, you are going to have an abiding presence in your life. You know, my wife talked last week about encountering Jesus and having that time. This is one thing I would encourage you on your own is receive communion. Right, Katie? (laughs) You don't have to just do it at church. You don't have to have the pastor serve you or the ushers or anybody else because you now have direct access to the table with Jesus. And who would not, who would want to sit at a table with Jesus? I mean, if we had, we had potluck last week, it's like the Jesus table would be packed. Nobody would be sitting with Pastor John. We don't care. I didn't see anybody caring last week whether they sat with me either, but, um, <laughs> It's not, it's not a forgiveness issue. I'm just, it's funny. Um, so, <laughs> but the Jesus table would be packed, right? Man, Jesus has always got a table ready. I don't want to leave him sitting there by himself. I want to say, man, if you've done this for me, I want to, I want to receive it. I, I want to receive this into my life. And Abram had kind of a glimpse of it. Abram had just a, a picture. He had just an, an appearance, maybe, even of, of, of God in that time serving him a covenant meal. And Jesus here, what does he say? This is the new covenant. Hey, this is part of it. This is not just something you get to do on first Sunday or whatever Sunday. Or uh, if you grew up Catholic, you do it every time at Mass. Uh, that's one of the things Catholics do that I think is amazing is actually they have they have that all the time. It's a, it's a big deal. Maybe maybe there's some misunderstandings there. I, I get that, but uh, every week there's something that's you know there's an availability to say you need to come to the Lord's table, and so we need to come to the Lord's table. And I encourage you to do it on your own. I encourage you to take time on your own, uh, do it with your families. I'm being challenged with that as I speak. <laughs> That your kids and your grandkids. You got your grandkids over? Why don't you serve in communion? Why don't you say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna sit down and share, a, share with, and remember Jesus right in this moment. We're gonna, we're gonna do something different. We're gonna turn off the TV for five minutes. Kids have short attention spans. I get that. So we're, you don't take an hour. Just do it. And train, let's train all of us to come to the Lord's table. So ushers, if you want to pass this out, come on ushers, if you want to pass this, begin to pass out the, we're just going to close with this. And my prayer is this. If you're in a battle right now, 
Jesus is releasing his victory. You can pass out both the, 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 both the elements right now at once. And we're gonna, we're gonna just play that song that we, we actually sang during the worship time. We're just gonna play that for just a minute here. So even as they pass it out, we're gonna let the song play. Just kinda let, let God just soak in, uh, the reality of his table into your heart right now. Thank you, Lord. Lord, not because this is a cracker, Lord, but because of who's who's behind what this means, God. And so we choose to remember, to dwell with you, to abide with you, and we invite everything of who you are to come into us. And so we thank you for your body and your blood that you gave for us. Thank you that the table is prepared for us at all times, God, that today is not about just coming to the table once. Just doing it uh, this one time, God, we thank you, Lord, that you are making an invitation to us. Thank you, Lord. I just I just really feel like that God is is speaking to some people in here and saying, you are going to need to come to the table for what you're about to face. What you're about to walk through, what you're about to walk in, you need to come to the table more often. You need to sit down and let Jesus serve you and let him take care of the battle. And so, Lord, we just receive that, whatever you would uh, say to us, Lord, those that you're speaking, your promises, God, your promise. Somebody said earlier that your promise is that I will fight for you. And so we thank you, Lord, that because you are in covenant with us, that you will fight for us as your people. And, Lord, whether we're facing a battle or we're on the mountaintop, Lord, we want to come sit at your feet and receive from you. And so help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't received, you can go ahead and receive it as as we close. As we close, I want us to pray for Gary Long. Uh, many of you may not, if you know Greg and Josie, this is his one of his older brothers, Gary, and he is in a battle right now, uh, physically. And so, as we close, I like to just pray for him and lift him up, and believe for a miracle. He's in the hospital right now, and there's many issues going on there, but he he really needs a miraculous breakthrough in his physical body. And his maybe and as well for his spirit. And so right now, Lord, we come into agreement with the entire long family. And we thank you right now for ministering the life, the power of Jesus into their lives, Lord, into their hearts. May they be encouraged today. We pray for Gary's body to begin to receive healing. Lord, we pray for him to begin to receive healing from Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord. This battle is too much for him. Uh, there are some things even the doctors are not 
sure of. They don't know why this, this or that's happening. Lord, and so we thank you, Lord, that you'll just set foot right in that place and reveal yourself and who you are and what you have done for Gary Long. And we just declare healing over his body in Jesus' name. We declare encouragement in his heart and his mind. We declare his mind to, to believe the promises of God. We just thank you that whoever's with him right now, that's a family member, whether that's Dennis or Greg or Josie, whoever else, God, his son Glenn, uh, Lord, we just, we just thank you for the truth of God being released in that room this very night. And Lord, remind us, God, I just pray as we close that you would remind us of your table. Help us go to this table more than just once every, every once in a while. Help us remember that you are preparing the table for us where we can receive life directly from you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed as you go. If you need prayer for anything, we will stay and pray as long as we need to. And we will see you on uh, Wednesday.